And we're live from the res. Two dark natives, Andre J. Dominguez over there. Ooh, and we got Ralph J. Christman. Right here in the house. <laughs> in the house. And we are joined today with a special guest, my very, favorite guest of all special. time, which is none other than uh, Miss Virginia Chase Christman. Her peers sometimes call her Verge. For many years, I would hear the Honorable Councilwoman Virginia Christman, uh, but I just call her Mom. Mom. How you doing, <laughs> How you doing today, Mom? I'm doing fine, and you know what? I'm so glad to be here this evening, and you know what? Thank you guys yeah. for inviting me. That's It's so yeah. crazy how, because uh, I was literally just talking to somebody last night. We're like, oh, we got to get you know this person, that person in, and then that person's like, you know who you really have to get in? I'm like, who? You're like, your Aunt Virginia. You have to bring her in. <laughs> and literally, that happened last night, and I was like, oh, man, that's so crazy. And then Ralph um, hit me up the other night and said, hey, you know, we're going to... or last night or yeah. he said hey we're gonna get her in i said dude that's perfect it was it's meant to be meant to be for sure yeah it's, it's an honor to have you here mom obviously um now i know i know your story because i'm your son obviously and the youngest of six um but i feel like maybe others don't so i was just kind of want to go back in time a little bit um where were you born mom i was born here at viejas i was born in uh house 22 very long road. Which right is uh, down the street on the res. Uh, it's on the north side of the reservation. You go, well, there's a church here. Nictivia, the Blessed Virgin Mary is the name of the church. And you go east of there all the way down to where the end of the road, to where the house is, a line of trees. And that's where I was born. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right, I've heard I've heard the many stories of over the years of walking uphill both ways in the snow. No, I'm kidding. But no, uh, back in those days, Viejas it was barren long, probably called back then more often uh, barren long, and and it was a lot different than it is today, I imagine, huh? Oh yeah, back in the day, back as far as I can remember, well, I can remember from <laughs> I was born and uh, I uh, always uh, known of this place as barren long growing up. Even way back when uh, our people had moved from uh, uh, the old valley, Los Conejos. When they moved from there and then moved up here, that's what I always grew up with and knowing that it was uh, Bermont. Nice. And then it changed to Viejas. Uh, Mom, did your, uh, your old people talk about that old village and, and what that was like coming out of there? Oh, yes, they did. Uh, <clears throat> They told me, uh, my aunt uh, Margaret uh, Amador, Margaret Lachapa Amador, uh, she raised me, and she would refer back to the old village. And she told me, she said, Virginia, you need to know our story. And I said, oh, okay. I was young growing up, you know, my mother was sick, wasn't too well of a person, so my aunt uh, had raised me, okay? So... She told me, she said, well, back in the day, she says, way back. You know, she said, our family came from Vaisita. They had to leave Vaisita, and they had to go and find a new place to settle. So them days, there was no cars. You know, everything was on uh, horses and buggies. and So it was the clan by, led by one man and about 10 or 20 uh, guys with them. So they went searching, seeking uh, a place to settle. 
And then they came upon Los Conejos. They decided there that they would, uh, that would be where they would settle. That would be their, their place for, their, for them, their families, the whole uh, the La Chapa clan, okay? Uh, so it wasn't just one particular, that was the a clan of them with uh, their families. And so in 1894, he, uh, this, this one man, he got a settlement. And that settlement uh, later in 1909 was approved by uh, El Capitan for them. That's where they could homestead. And that man was the, uh, the head of the clan. He was known as uh, Lina La Chapa. So they lived out there, uh, as my aunt uh, told me, and uh, not just only my aunt, but my uncle Calestra and uh, my grandfather Avellino, my mother Cecilia, La Chapa, Chase, you know, she, they all uh, talked about how they lived back there in Los Conejos after uh, leaving uh, Vallecita. That was their new, uh, that was their homestead. So they told me, uh, and they talked about uh, how they lived, how they hunted, and uh, you know, how they used to come uh, all the way on horse uh, back up here to uh, the top of the mountain to uh, catch uh, what they called uh, a uh, wagon. And from there, they would go on to school. So she'd tell me about that. She'd say, you know, she says, long time ago, she said, um, we uh, traveled. We traveled on foot. We traveled the clan. What they did, she said, is when we got to, uh, the, when the head man, along with the rest of his uh, group there, they uh, decided, this is where we're going to have our, our home for our families, our children. And so that's where they lived. And they lived there, and they had a church built there. They had a cemetery, mind you, this was back in the 1800s. Uh, so in the late 1800s, as though people were naturally dying within the clan. And so they needed a place, you know, to bury their dead. So they had a, a cemetery, which they called uh, their, uh, the small cemetery, which is to this day lies on the west side of the, uh, a creek there. Now there's two cemeteries. There's one on the east and one on the west. But the one on the west was established back in the 1800s because that's when uh, the settlement had started for the clan. So they were still living like in uh, old uh, clan, like um, with clan leadership, that old that old way of government, like the uh, captain system, I guess it's sometimes called. They had the Shamuls, and then uh, they had the Kwai Pai, usually a family leader of some sort, and they lived in an area, and then they'd kind of have a... They had quite pie over everything, I guess, is probably how they were living back down then. Uh, yes, from what uh, I was, like I said, you know, I, um, uh, a story that was uh, told to me and handed down to me by my uh, aunt, Margaret, uh, and my mother and the family there that lived there, you know, they uh, they had the one, uh, I guess you would say the Kwa Pai, but he was the leader of the clan. And like I said, that was Lino La Chapa. And then he had his children. You know, they all lived there in Los Conejos. He had his 
uh, son Avelino La Chapa, and he had uh, Anton La Chapa, and all their kids from Virginia to Martin to Margaret to Dan to Calistra, and you know they all lived there. They lived there uh, until the day came, and the time came that they uh, were asked. Uh, well, they were they really didn't have to move from that village. But they were there, and then later on in time, as uh, she was telling me, is that uh, there was a family that had come from Old Town. They needed uh, a place as well. This was in the early uh, 1900s. And so there, the clan, it was up to the clan and the head of the clan to decide if they wanted or were going to allow this uh, family, uh, you know, to uh, live there. Well... They did. They decided to uh, allow this clan to, uh, I mean, this uh, family to live there because they had come from the mission area. Okay, so from that period, then, of course, they um, established their home and they built and they lived there. And, and so when uh, Lena, who was the head of the clan, he went and uh, like I said, they built a church, they built a they had a cemetery, uh, they cultivated the land, they, because they were given money, uh, uh, or the settlement for this uh, head, uh, man, Lino. He had got a settlement. With that settlement, that's what he had uh, did there in Los Canegos. That was in the middle of 1800, okay? And then in the late 1894, like I said, you know, and in 1909 is when El Capitan acknowledged them to being there. And that's where they lived. And they lived there all their lives. And then there came the time that when El Capitan or San Diego had that drought and the uh, people from El Capitan had to move, uh, well, they uh, were looking for a place to see where they were going to move to because they had to move from their homestead. Uh, Los Canajos was already settled and 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 uh, lived there and had their children, and so when it came down to it, um, they were out seeking and looking for a place, and that's when they uh, found this ranch known as Baronlong, uh, or it was owned, I should say, by a man by the name of Baronlong, and uh, so. There was all that negotiation going on and through the bureau and everything like that, that where they had to uh, uh, make that decision and all that type of thing was done. So in the in 19, 1930s, there was uh, uh, a question asked by the by the by El Capitan. Because some of El Capitan had gone to Barone and bought a ranch up there, and some had gone uh, here to Bernlong. Yeah, and that and was so, the larger population, right? Was the Capitan was a big group. Yeah. And then, uh, Los Caneros is kind of a, a, a one of the villages that was kind of off. It seemed like there was a lot of villages around Capitan. Is that kind of how it would work? And they had well, different families in different villages. Uh, kind of, but that was kind of like the population center. Yeah, El Capitan that was the headquarters, I guess you could say. Okay. You know, it was the headquarters. Yeah. And that's why when uh, the clan, the La Chapa clan, when they were seeking uh, a, a place to settle, uh, because they had gotten that settlement in, uh, he had that one man he had gotten it in 1894. 
had to have the approval of, uh, you know, El Capitan. So they approved it uh, for their settlement and to uh, live there and everything in 1909. Believe it or not, I, I got the papers to that, <laughs> you know. And so uh, that's where uh, they settled and settled. And uh, so in the 1930s, they um, it came a time that, like I said, San Diego, uh, you know, purchased uh, the people from El Capitan had to move out, and some went to Verona, some came here to be asked. And upon doing that, uh, they were known as the Piper family that wanted to purchase this uh, Baron Long Ranch. They didn't have uh, enough people uh, to purchase the whole ranch. So what they did, being that uh, the clan, time went on, they had uh, what they call Kwai uh, Pai, the captain, which was Felix Piper. Well, Felix Piper uh, happened uh, to be the godfather to my mother, Cecilia. So he negotiated and talked with the clan leader, which was Lina Lachapa, and the rest of the clan there, that uh, would they move here or not, and or what they were going to do, what their decision was. Like I said, this story was told to me by my Aunt Margaret. Uh, my grandfather would talk about the stories, <clears throat> how they lived down there. And and so it was very interesting to hear uh, their story, their lifestyle, what they did, and how it came about that they moved from uh, Los Canacos here to Baron So when they did uh, make uh, the decision to go ahead and move here to Baron Long, there were 29 Lechapas within the clan, heads and children, that moved up here. And uh, so each one of them were all given money. They were given money to relocate their uh, homestead there. And uh, Los Canejos, my family, they didn't want to move. I mean, they were settled. You know, they were settled, they lived there, they uh, were born there and lived their whole lives. When my mother moved from Los Canales, came up here, she was 13 years old. And my aunt was 23 years old. And her brothers, they were in their 30s, you know. So they were, they lived all their life down there. And so when the time came that they did, made that decision to move up here, uh, they said, the head of the clan, along with uh, 10, 15, 20 of his followers, uh, head along with him, uh, they, they said, well, only if we move, we're, we want to go right over the mountain. And we want to be on the north side. In case one day comes that we have to move back, all we do is just come right over the mountain and we'll be right there, right there at King's Creek. Because when they, um, when this uh, Lino Lachapa got his settlement, and they went down to pick their uh, pick where they were going to be, this was uh, he and his followers, not the whole clan at the time, mind you. They went and uh, they looked and seen. Well, this is where we're going to. Say, okay, I'm going to have lost. I'm going to have King Creek through here, and so all the rest of the other uh, clan members that were there. They all spread out through the Los Canejos and they picked their home site or their sites mm -hmm. for themselves, their children and themselves. So 
that's where they resided. So my family, they all picked uh, along Kings Creek and inland there. And that's where um, the uh, Lena's grandchildren were all raised. They were there and um, and they lived there, like I said, you know, all their lives until they were uh, made that decision to move. They uh, negotiated naturally with the chairman, which was Felix Piper there at the time. He was a Piper from the El Captain there. And uh, so he, uh, they finally came to the decision that we'll move, providing, just like I said, we'll go over the, right over the mountain, and we have the church, we have a cemetery, and we'll all be on the north side. And so with uh, 29 La Chapa within the clan, well, they came onto this uh, barren lawn and they spread it out all the way down. Like when you come into the reservation, mm -hmm. uh, it's a, there's a sign says entering Viejas. Well, at that house, 20, uh, 31 then, or was the number, was La Chapa. And so from that point on, I mean, I, I could sit here and name... All the homes that were the La Chapas, the Picos, the La Chapas, the Picos, all the way that comes all the way over here to Aunt Rosie La Chapa's uh, house, her and Victor Piper, all the way on there was Christina La Chapa, Calis, where I'm residing right now is Calistra La Chapa. I'm on my uncle's uh, site when they moved up here. So, and then it goes on through to my aunt, uh, aunt Margaret's and uncle, Avelino, and then her father and mother, Anton and Annie, on down to where I was born. That originally was uh, my uncle there in the Chapa's place. So they picked the whole north side, okay, for the children, for their children, and uh, future children and grandchildren, and, you know, for future generations. So that's one of the reasons why uh, we are on the north side. So when you were born at home, you were truly born at home. You were surrounded by all your family, and that was where they had kind of like, this is where we're going to be at now, and and that's where you come from, from all of that. Exactly, exactly. Wow. I was born there, and, uh, well, when I was born, it was, they said, you were a very unusual baby. And I said, oh. <laughs> my aunt said, oh, my gosh, Virginia, I remember, she said, when you were born, I don't know if I should say it or not, but I, anyway, they said when I came out, the whole thing came out, and they, uh, you know, yeah. they had a cut and bring me out. There I was, little baby, you know. Uh, well, back in those days, they didn't have they didn't have medicine like today for like premature yeah. or anything like that. No. Or it was just like the baby's gonna make it or maybe not make it, and you were just a tiny little baby, huh? Yes, I was. My aunt told me she said, uh, "Well, see, uh, when they left the reservation down there." Ten years later, I was born here on this reservation. Yeah. My mother was 13 years old when she left down there. She had me around when she was like 24 years old. And and what's interesting, and the uh, the head of the clan lived all his life down there. When he moved up, uh, when they moved up here, uh, it would seem like only maybe 20 years or so. Or he died at the age of 108 years old. That was that was Whoa. Lino the Chapa. Father to uh, he was the head of the La Chapa clan. Was he still moving around around that age? Oh yeah, yeah. He was still moving around, and he um, went totally blind. Mm. So the people here, because when the people moved from uh, up here 
you know, it was the La Chapa, the Piper, the Pico families mm -hmm. that moved here. Yeah. And uh, they established, uh, the Pipers, they established their big homes. They had the big uh, hotels over there, and they uh, had the big places, you know. There have been a VS res. It actually, sadly, just has been, um, it's gone away. It was burnt down recently, but there was always a big, they call it the mansion, or it was this big Victorian home that was, uh, I guess, originally was lived in by uh, Baron Long himself, I imagine. And there was actually two there, and... You know these homes are over 100 years old, you know, and and they've been they've been they've fallen apart and burned over the years. But for the longest time, they were kind of like you go to Vieos, that was iconic. That was you know, yeah. and 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 uh, the you know family occupied and, and lived and and that was their home and everything. But that was, that was just a big piece of Vieos America or oh, Vieos yeah. Acana. I don't know it's not American, yeah, yeah, yeah. Acana. <laughs> but yeah, you know when I hear that time period, you know I, I think of like and like we're still seeing that today. You're looking at all these natives down there. They, you know, they were pushed around the the uh, Southern California region. You know, some were taken to the mission. Some were in their old villages, forced out of those villages to go to larger villages. You know, kind of everybody was moved around in those early or those mid 1800s. You know, at the after the gold rush. You know, you got populations coming into Southern California, moving people around, just really um, bothering the Indian population. So they go and they find a place where they can be comfortable. And then what happens? By eminent domain, they come in and say, we're going to take the water. San Diego yeah. needs water, and they're going to take the water from these natives, from all of these different families. You know, my mom's talking about, you know, our family, the Chapa family down there in Los Canejos, but there was a bunch of other families there. And like she said, some went to Barona, you know, saying come up here to Viejas. And you talk about resiliency. They stole that water. You know, they took it by eminent domain, meaning we have to have it, you know, San Diego needs drinking water. And in return, we're going to give you some money for sale. With the aspirations that way they're going to go and, and just kind of Americanize. They're going to fully assimilate, take that money, go buy a house in, in Alpine or, or somewhere and, and kind of just be a quote-unquote American and lose everything. But what did they do? No, the people in Brona put their money together. They bought that res and they've been living as a nation ever since. What the people over here do? They put their money together. They followed suit and they got Viejas Valley and they created and, and all the families have come together, you know, and and create what we have today. And what I think is cool is now you look forward, you know, um, from the time period you're talking about, which is your whole lifetime to today. Now, Brona and Viejas have very strong economic development, have resorts, they have casinos, they have, you know, all of these economic interests that was not given to them. The people, they put their money together, invested in that, in the land, and then later on invested in business opportunities. And now we are um, you know, we are the product of those investment and those investors, and I'm very proud of that. But at the same time, you look at Hawaii and you see Mauna Kea, and these guys are saying, We're going to take this mountain, blame it in Maine, and we're going to lop the top of your sacred mountain. We're just going to cut the top of this mountain because we can't see the stars anymore. We want to put a satellite there so we can see the stars, you know. And it's like, Well, why can't you see the stars because of all your industry? Because of all this pollution, pollution this light pollution, that this industry, you know, post-industrial industry has created light pollution. You can't even see the stars. So we have to go to Hawaii, a beautiful place. They're indigenous people. Take their land from them to make a satellite. And it's, again, it's literally the repeating of what our people saw. Exactly. Taking that, well, we need water and taking it from our people at that time. And despite all things, you know, hopefully Mauna Kea has a better... Um, result. Hopefully, they get to keep their sacred mountain. But for us, we lost that 
water right. We haven't lived down there. We do have the land. But I guess the upside is that we do have resilience. Your generation, your um, my grandma, your mother's generation, mm -hmm. um, and, and the generation, meaning all of the different families that came up, they were able to make something out of all of that. But when you came, when you were coming up, you said it's 10 years after they moved up. Right. Infrastructure is not what it is today. Oh no! Yeah, I'm sure the running water and the you know I get a nice warm shower in the morning. I'm, I'm you know I got my yeah. internet. I got all these different things. I'm sure it wasn't like that when you were a little kid growing up. No, they told uh, what they told me was uh, my aunt told me uh, was that uh, when they moved up here, it was a ranch. You know, you could see right over here where uh, our north side. You could still see where the where my uh, son George lives and daughter Gina and. You know, you can see the big corral where the, they had their horses and, you know, in there, they still stand. Like I said, when our people came up here, uh, you know, they bought this land. They were given money from San Diego, uh, a certain amount of money, all those that had come up here. And those, uh, they put their money into the land here. Now, there were, uh, now granted, there were a few that took their money. They put a little bit on the land, but they left and went off the reservation and lived out there. But those that put their money all into this reservation, or well, you know, this uh, Baron Long, um, they were furnished, uh, and the lifestyle was so different. Let me tell you, from when my aunt said, my gosh, Virginia, she said, we were down there when we were little, we are going to Banning School, which is no longer a school up in Morongo. And she said we would live down there, but our family always, uh, they prayed, they sang, they kept the, they had their traditions. And that, she said, so we all went to Cali schools. We would come up here and get on the way and take about three days or said, or four days. Just <laughs> three to days of Morongo. To, Mon to wow. Morongo. <laughs> and they'd be riding in that, yeah. uh, they'd be riding in that wagon. Yeah, for those of you guys way out of state, that's like a three-hour drive right? today, that, maybe two but, and a half. Uh, this was the clan. <laughs> three days. The clan that, uh, you know, to yeah. my knowledge, that I was told that had gone to uh, Morongo to, and it was San Franciscan priests and run by the nuns, you know, and. And uh, anyway, that's where uh, they went. She said, and she said, it was so different. So I said, well, Auntie, what was something you came? She said, you see the barn over there? She says, it's where my grandfather uh, lived. She said, we all lived there. We lived in barn. We lived in sh shacks. We lived whatever they could, you know. And uh, and uh, uh, our clan lived that way. And also the other people that were there, uh, that lived uh, there in Los Canejos, they were also were living in whatever they could live here on the reservation uh, as well, you know. It was just a matter that they were living that uh, that way, she said, was because uh, they were building the homes. As, as we're talking about all of this, um, you know, the, the, where you, I guess these are your roots that you're talking about, you know, going way back. You're talking about the old clans and the, you know, back when it was, um, you know, captain leadership and the quiet pies and all that moving forward. Uh, we talked about your great-great-grandfather who was 108 years old when he passed uh, as they moved up here. Um, what I'm curious, too, is, is you know, you must have seen, you know, a lot of Natives talk about the boarding school era, the effects of the Catholic Church on our people, and, and the um, acculturation. It's not really, some of it was acculturation, but a lot of it was a forced assimilation onto our people to, you know, get rid of the language, to get rid of the old philosophies and, 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 and belief systems. And have that replaced with English, you know, the old hunting and stuff kind of replaced with an Americanized 
uh, post, uh, you know, like a farming or an industrialized job. Um, and then religion, obviously being huge in that you got to become some type of Christian. And in our region, I know it was Catholic because there's still a lot of Catholics here in our community. So how did you, how did you see that in, in the family growing up as a, as a coming up in that? What did you see in all of that? Well, what I seen was uh, was that, uh, like I said, our family had come from Conejos, and they went to boarding school. Uh, and when they went to the boarding school, they said the boarding school they were they were rough, you know. They were. Uh, Where did they go to boarding school? They at? went to boarding school there in uh, by Morongo. It's called was called Banny. Okay. So they all said that you know they went to school in Banny. Uh, in fact, I still ha I have a picture to this day of Banning with the, the kids. So for us, like Banning's like what a two and a half hour drive from yeah. here or something like that. Okay, how north. Is, how far they, was that? Okay, that time. Oh gosh, I don't know how. Uh, well, it's right next to uh, a little over the hill. I think from where Morongo is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not far from there, but like I said, they said it take like a good three days, you know, from traveling, you know, horse and buggy and <laughs> resting and going, you know. Yeah. That's why I answered. Oh, she said Virginia used to be so tiresome. She said, but we went and three so days I in asked a buggy. Her, I said, what do you? Do? So how was the school? She said, the way she described it to me, she said uh, they didn't like you talking your language. But they would talk it. Those when they got amongst each mm. other, you know, they would oh, talk okay. it. She said, you know what? And she said, I'll tell you one thing. She said, if it wasn't for that school, I would have never learned how to bake. I would have <laughs> oh, never okay. learned how to cook. And and my mom uh, said also, too, she said, hi, because hi means when someone that they really, you're, you're so special, you know what I mean, when they call you hi. And so she said, hi, you know, I would have never known how to sew. Mm. Had I not gone to those schools, and she said, "That's where we learned how to sew. We learned how to cook, so that when we did, when school was out, and we came back to the reservation here, we were able to go out and get a job." She said, "What we did," she said, "is my aunt said I would make cakes and pies, and I would do all my baking at home, and she would sell them out, you know." Okay. And uh, my and the mother, she was uh, they always called it the seamstress, you know, so she would. Sew and do that type of stuff. So that's how it was one way that they made a living. Yeah. You know, they did. And I said, wow, that was really interesting, you know, so hearing all that. So, uh, so, and uh, so my aunt would, uh, said to me, Virginia, whatever you do, you always remember to pray. And I said, okay. So I, she said, so I asked her, I said, well, Auntie, I said, when you guys moved uh, from down there, you guys prayed. And I, she said, Virginia, when we moved up here, we brought our traditions with us. I said, tradition, she said, yes. Our lifestyle, the way we lived, she said, our prayers, our songs, dances. And I said, oh, did everybody? She said, yeah, the whole clan. And all those, she said, that came up, she said, yeah. She said, um, uh, so I asked her, I said, well, aunt, I said, you pray. And she said, yes. She said, I pray. So what did you learn? She said, from Lino La Chapa. Nino Lechop was a prayer leader. He was a, a singer. And so what he did, she said, is he taught uh, my brother Calistra how to sing. And we call it bird today, but them days they called it to cook. Mm. And I said, oh, I see. So. No, no, Calistra, is that the one that, uh, that's the one that, um, he lived right where you live now, correct? Yes, okay. he lives. So 
So she told me that. I said, oh, okay. So I remember as a child, okay, I'm going to talk about myself. I remember as a child, because uh, they lived uh, uh, right over next door to where the olive trees is, that house where uh, I was raised with my aunt, Margaret. And right next to it is where, like, a log cabin house. And that's where Anton and uh, his wife, Lena, I mean, uh, his wife, uh, Anna, they lived. So it was, uh, it was Anton and his wife, uh, Anna, and they had, oh, my God, they had about five kids that, you know, that uh, lived there. And um, and that was private. That was their private place. So they lived there. But I, you know, uh, I was, uh, like I said, my aunt raised me. So they got up early. Them days, those people would be up early before the sun came up. I mean, they didn't. Just like me. Lisa, <laughs> <laughs> if you sleep, you sleep all day, you missed half of the day. You didn't see nothing. Everything's gone by. I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> so anyways, uh, but I would, uh, I, re I remember a little girl sitting out there. And when I say little girl, you know, my aunt raised uh, me from one years old. I was one years old. After I was one years old, hot dogs, I drank coffee with milk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And people, I've told people, yeah, they said, do you drink? Oh, yeah. I said, I drank coffee when I was, uh, say, uh, one, uh, two years old. Oh, yeah, I drank that coffee. You know? was, the, was there a reasoning for that or they just no. something well, they gave you? What, ha uh, what happened was that uh, the old, uh, my Aunt Margaret, well, let me tell you how it started. Okay. They moved up here. Ten years later, I was born. And when I was born, my, my Aunt Margaret, she met John Felicia from Santa Isabel. So they used to say, uh, I gotta watch out of Santa Isabel. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, watch out. Hey. So, they, so they say, uh, Oh, Virginia, you brought John and I together. My Aunt would tell me, you know, and I said, Oh, okay. So when I was born, uh, well, they got together. You know, they were both, when I was born, uh, they said, I was so tiny. She said, Virginia, your head be right here and your legs would come right here. Mm. And, uh, which is so, weird because you grew to be so big, mom. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, she told me that. So she said, you know, I was born with her and John, they got together and John said, well, I got to stay, I got to cut some wood. So he and uh, Uncle, uh, Uncle Dan, you know, they, they were they cut the wood. And all our other uncles around, too, you know, the, uh, Marcelina, the Chapa, and, uh, you know, uh, other uh, uh, Augustines, all, they get together and all cut wood, you know. But he said, oh, so my aunt told me, she said, yeah, you brought John and I together. And then he said, well, I can't go anywhere because he said, you know, I want to take care of this baby. <laughs> so we had a... The That's fire, an Andre move. So, hey, Andre. Hey, so the, the house... Uh, it was a fireplace where, you know, it's on the uh, floor, you know, it's all cement, mm, yeah. and then the chimney goes yeah. on up, you know. So they put me in a little box, and he and that was my little incubator, you know. So oh, he yeah. turned me around, turned me around. I was so, she said, Virginia, you're only nine inches long. Nobody can believe that, I guess, you know, but I mean today or whatever. And so mm -hmm. before they knew it, uh, the word got out because we're very much isolated up here, you know. And because uh, they were still living their way from back down, mm -hmm. coming from over there, they'd go out and hunt, you know, and and things like that. So they were very much to themselves. I think that's one of the reasons why you don't see um, stories about Los Canecos because uh, the clan were very much closed in to themselves. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so, it's kind of an isolated spot geographically. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it's not like right there next to the, the main Interstate 8 or the highway. Oh, or, yeah. It's back there. So when I, like I said, uh, my Uncle John turned me around. To, so the word got out, oh, yeah, you know, Cecilia had a new baby, you know. And, oh, we want to see the baby, you know. Oh, we're just small, very small. So they would come up. Oh, they'd come up. The people would come up. They'd bring show weed. They'd bring tortillas. Mm. They'd say, oh, my God, take them so-and-so. So that... Because they were always so scared. We were under the, uh, what you call the, uh, uh, the uh, not, uh, well, the Bureau, but uh, Indian Agency. Mm. And they were so scared that if they seen me and how small I was, they would take me away. You yeah. know, they would uh, take me. They didn't know where they would take me. So they hid me out. They said when I was about six months old, I looked like a newborn baby, okay? So that was okay. Oh. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, I must have looked like a rat or something. Translucent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So anyway, that's, uh, you know, that, that was how uh, how I was born and how I brought my Uncle John and my aunt together. And and because they're older people, they're giving you coffee? Is that what happened? or? Well, so what, well, so what happened? Uh, there, if there anything, you uh, get up that have beans and tortillas and drank all coffee. So they put so much milk and then low coffee in there, and they give it to me, and oh, I drank that thing. You know, my uncle would drink it, and he'd hand it to me, and I would drink it. You know, and, I mean, it was. I guess that's what you call uh, togetherness. Huh? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, so anyway, and then in the morning, they didn't just uh, drink regular water, or. Oh, yeah, uh, we had water, but getting back to over here where I was saying about drinking coffee and all that, you know, and uh, so John and Margaret, you know, they, they prayed, uh, Catholic, you know, we're all Catholics, and boy, they were strict, uh, they were strong on Catholic, uh, you know, because uh, they, uh, naturally, the family had all gone to boarding, uh, to mm-hmm. the Catholic boarding school, so they uh, prayed and prayed. And then they uh, carried their traditions on that uh, where they prayed for people. Uh, so people around reservation, uh, they always call them to go pray for their uh, people that died, their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Or if they died at home, they would go and and I and uh, you know pray for them and all that and take and do that. So I seen all that growing. So back up. in those days, they didn't have like a corner or nothing, right? You just no. have to show up and they pray well, for them and. They would, uh, they would, uh, they had a messenger. There'd be a messenger from somewhere. They would come and they'd get word to Margaret. Oh, they, uh, they'd call him Juan Uncle. Want you and so and so, Mom Malay, my amiu, Mom Masa. They say, well, you know, this old person died, and we want you to come and pray. So that's what they would do. So that was so. But other than that, when we were home and everything, and I was little, like I say, sitting outside. <laughs> Boy, when the as soon as the sun, uh, before the sun came up out here. Calistra, he was playing, uh, singing, playing the board, mm. singing. And then when it got dark, he was singing, playing the board every day. So I asked, uh, you know, I asked my uh, aunt, I said, how come he does that? Oh, she said he's praying for the morning and praying for the night. I said, oh, I remember that so well, you know. And so with that, uh, I I heard all that, you know, and then uh, so there I was with my aunt Margaret and Uncle John going to funerals and going to wakes and going to memorial. Well, they did the memorial because they set the box. They made the three tier boxes. They set that all up for a memorial, the one year memorial. And I could go into that later on, maybe you know. But I mean, with traditions, you know. But yeah. 
But this is what I, uh, uh, you know, some of my stories were what I was told. And I like to mention the names of the people that told, uh, tell, told me this, like my Aunt Margaret, my mother, or Evelino, my grandfather, you know. I like to mention their names because I don't know what sacrifices they went through, through their experiences that they're sharing with me. So with respect and and all, I like to mention their name, you know, yeah. in a good way. And so, um, so anyways, here we are. We're living on the north side. <laughs> we had, uh, and this is what I experienced growing up, you know, uh, after I was one year, what, two or three, four years, you know, five years, uh, I was, my mom got to go well, so I'd be with her, then back with my aunt, but mainly I was raised with my aunt. So our water system up here was not the best, I guess you could say, but I thought it was okay. We all did. We cooked in it, we bathed in it, and everything. But right above our uh, where uh, uh, where the olive trees and where I was born, that house, right above there was what they called the reservoir. And so, you know, uh, later in years, went up there and uh, <laughs> uh, looked in there. Kathy and I, she she was uh, a cousin of mine, uh, Kathy Hyde. She and I we went up there, and Marsh Martinez, we went up there and. Uh, we looked in. Oh my God, it was so hot. Oh, we're gonna, we should go for a swim. He said, no, we better not. So anyways, we opened the whole thing in there. That's, and said, hey, this is the water we drink. Oh my God, there was snake skin floating around oh. in there. There was fur. Oh my God, we opened the door, you know, looked at it. Oh my God, so. That's called flavor. <laughs> so anyway. I went back and I told my, my, my mother and my aunt, my aunt, my mother was there. And uh, I said, I told her what we seen. And my mother got to a water, a glass, she puts it up to the sun. She said, see this? And I looked at it and you could see like little hairs. Oh my and I, oh my God, you know, we were drinking. That's what, so I said, well, you know what? I was raised up on... Uh, uh, snake juice and, and, uh, <laughs> and rabbit fur or full fur. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah, we all were. You know, then my cousin Danny Spinoza over here, you know, we were all there. Too, so our coffee know? might have been just a good boil habit, huh? Just a <laughs> well, you know, I, right? well, you know, they had coffee every morning. Yeah. Every morning, coffee, 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 you know. And, uh, of course, them days, when we went to Wakes and everywhere, they always had coffee, stew, mm. uh, uh, lilies, which are like fry bread, little, uh, little bitty things like this, and tortillas. That was a dinner. That was meal, you know. We'd go, so as a little girl, I traveled with my aunt and uncle and all to all the funerals, the wakes. I went to all the reservations. Them days, all the reservations were pretty much the same. No lights in the church. And my aunt prayed, okay, there I am standing with a candle, a little candle. I stand there. I'd be, oh, Evening, well, what happened was when the body got there, they were there to meet it, and then they'd go on, and then, and mind you, there were no singers, okay? This, what sing, uh, at that time, there was just only uh, my Uncle Callistra that sang. So, um, he would sing outside. If it was in a church or so, they never allow him in church. So, but my aunt would be in there, she'd be saying the rosary, her John Callistra praying. And then I'd be the light standing there. 
And all of a sudden, I go down like this, and pretty soon, boom, on the head. Oh, boy, I stood up straight. <laughs> <laughs> I had the light Because there was no lights in any of the churches. Them days, we'd go to Campo, we'd go to Manzanita, we'd go to Amul, and no place, you know, nothing like that. And so as, um, and so that's the way it was, you know. And then later, uh, uh, well, my uncle Calistra, he got married. He, uh, he married this uh, Gladys, they call her, and George Hyde. Was uh, that was his stepson, and Lily, the bro sister, was his stepdaughter. So, what he did, what the song, what uh, the singing that he learned from uh, this uh, uh, Lena Lechapa, who was the head of the clan, he taught his grandson the songs. And so when he had him, and then when this George Hyde was a uh, uh, became his stepson, he taught them. So the the two of them would sing together, and then when my Uncle Calistra La Chapa, when he passed, Uncle, uh, well, George, well, he wasn't my uncle then, until later in years he married my aunt, you know, but anyway, I still address him as Uncle George Hyde, you know. Uh, when Uncle Calistra died, he put his gourd in there and said, I'm not singing one year, I'm not going to sing. So when we had deaths in our family, he would bring the people from uh, Arizona, from Yuma, or Kokobar, out that way, out. And reason for that is because he knew the people back there. Because originally, that's where he came from. Mm. He came from a little uh, village uh, out by uh, Alcadonas. And so uh, that's where, and I, I went to that village when I was very young. I remember being there. And uh, so there was, so when, uh, that was where he came from. So he knew the people out there. So he'd bring them out and they would sing. And then when his year was up, then he would sing, he, you know, went back to singing. And uh, so he sang all, he sang all uh, from that time on. He was the only singer around. And he'd tell people, yeah, I learned how to sing from Kalistra La Chapa. He'd say, that's my dad, you know. And so, uh, so he was the only uh, singer around for, God, years. And then uh, in uh, 19... Uh, and then later on, as time went on, he uh, had married uh, Teresa Cuero from Campo, or Mezzanita, I should say, which is first cousin to my mother, Cecilia. And um, so anyway, uh, she, uh, uh, so they, that was my auntie. She was my auntie and I was my Uncle George, you know. So he was the only singer around. And then in the middle, uh, uh, late uh, end of the uh, 60s, Uncle George and her, well, they were having a little hard time in uh, Alpine, you know, rent and stuff like that, you know, financial, I'll mm -hmm. just say. So they came and stayed with me. They came and stayed with me, and he used to sing. Oh, he'd, he'd sing the gourd, and he explained to me about, uh, you know, uh, traditions, and, and that was where my daughter, uh, Gina and Snowball, hot dogs, they learned how to do the two-step, you know. He would sing there on the couch, and then he'd tell them, you know, Kim Ma, Kim Ma. <laughs> so that's where they learned how to do the two-step, you know. They were little kids, you know, little, oh, I know, very, you know, very, very young. But that was uh, where they uh, they learned, you know, very, very early age, you know, very little early age. So again, it was, um, it was like, uh, uh, they stayed with me, and then after that, well, Uncle... You know, he was alone because his dad was dead. My uncle Polistra, he was gone. Meanwhile, my uncle uh, Dan Lachapo was a prayer leader as well. He and his sister Margaret, they were prayer leaders. 
And today, you know, I still have their books. They hand it down to me. I pray out of them at times, or I had, you know. Uh, someday, you know, well, they're going to go to my grandchildren, you know, pass that on down. Because that's the way it was. Uh, they always pass things down to the kids, the stories, um, what they did, they pass it on down. So in 1977, when my mother passed away, she was the last prayer leader, I picked it up. I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this fade away. So I started praying. And Rosie Pinto was, uh, really encouraged me. She called me her niece, you know, because she and my mother were God sisters. Because this, uh, uh, going back to Felix Piper that came out of El Capitan and then into Vieja, uh, I mean, Los Canales, he had God children, you know. He, uh, uh, he had, uh, my, uh, had my mother and Rosa Pinto, Johnny Pinto, Tom Hyde, and Felix Gonzalez, you know, had all these were his God children. So, you know, we were from my auntie, you know, and I say it was her <coughs> period of time, two years, you know, like down the road. But, anyways, growing up, I lived from one, uh, from different families. I live in the Brown family. I live in my godmother, Prudentia Hyde. I see, you know, how they live. Uh, and then our family. And, and of course, we were always going to funerals and wakes, you know. And Uncle Callista was always singing. And then when he passed, Uncle uh, George was singing. And then uh, when he was singing, then he got to where he was, uh, uh, he showed Ron, Ron Chrisman, my husband. He had an interest in that. So, me that Uncle George and Aunt Reese were always at my place. Uh, they started seeing them, Leroy and Ron, they're good buddies, you know. And so anyway, he, um, he taught uh, Ron and Leroy, Bird. So it got to where uh, Leroy would come down and, boy, him and Ron, they'd sit under the big tree, hey. <laughs> you know, they'd, they'd sit there and relax, hey, yeah. <laughs> and they'd be, um, uh, uh, they'd have a little scotch, hey, you know. But did uh anyway they sat there and they would sing just the two of them they would sing pretty soon boy it got louder and louder ooh that, you know <laughs> and they were having a good time you know and then and then that's where um uh, my husband Ron he uh he went and he uh had our boys George Jerry you know they all sang together and then we had little Ronnie and then, of course they all sang together like that and then Leroy he was out teaching the young boys out there that wanted mm -hmm. to learn as well. And so today it's a beautiful thing because you see all these uh, uh, bird singers going on and look at you, you know, <laughs> and Ralph, you know. You guys so if we wouldn't have done any of this, if one for that oak tree, one for us <laughs> good times, <laughs> those, guys, those guys coming together and, um, and, and getting it done. You know what, that is, you know, I agree. I really do. I agree because... Uh, and then I'm, you know, I was a, a what you call homemaker, you know, mom, I had my kids. And and it just happened that, I mean, so many of the kids came to our house. They like come to our house. Even they opened, they all socialize so yeah. much, you know. But these two guys, oh, my, they were like bee and honey. I mean, right there. They always brought the gourd up. In fact, I got pictures of the two of them, too, you know. Uh, not under the oak tree, but I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I got pictures. So, you know. They became mentors as well as time, you know, went on. Yeah. And what's good to see is that, you know, um, my husband taught, uh, the boys sang with him. Uh, they sang out in San Diego all over the place because there was Jane Dumas out there that she was like a bridge from there wanting to uh, have the uh, uh, 
San Diego people know that we were still existing. We still lived here. There's Indians still around. So she got uh, with her, she called Ron, her nephew, and asked me to go out there. And so we'd all go out there, Ron and George, Jerry, and uh, some others out there uh, would jump in to sing, you know, and our son, uh, little Ronnie, and Rel, you know, just a little, little guy. Well, he'd be out there. Yeah, that boy, too. He was out there. And now, look at him. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Still a little you, guy with a board out there. <laughs> Ain't nothing changed. <laughs> but that's, uh, you know, that all started when I think, of, you know, there's times I sit back and I think about, you know, I hope our uh, I hope our people are teaching their children this history of uh, the reservation here, you know, because mm-hmm. history is so important to know. Because with history, you know who you are, where you come from, uh, your family. Your, you know, all that. It's just so important. But I sit back and I think of the old people, how they live, you know, they're how happy and all they lived back in Canales. Then they moved up here and lifestyle was different. Their homes were different. I mean, down there they had mud houses, raw house and whatever, you know, so they mm-hmm. made their home. But it was their, you know, they lived there for years until, like I said, the middle 1800s of them. 30s when they moved up here, they got new homes. Go in there and turn the water on, it comes out. You know, go in there and flush the toilet, it flushed. Shoot, back in the day, <laughs> they'd be looking for the house, eh? Come on, my wall. Hey, <laughs> you know, they'd be looking for the outhouse, <laughs> you know? And uh, and they still use the outhouse up here, too. Yeah. Yeah, they did until, um, oh gosh, it's been, I'd say maybe 30 years ago, 20 years, 20 years ago, maybe, you know, or 30 years ago. But we had outhouse, you yeah. know. In your so, lifetime, it's crazy. In my lifetime, yeah. yeah. Oh, when I when I was born, like I said, uh, I was raised over there where the olive trees is, over there. Right when you come out front of the door, right where the ditch, there was an outhouse there. Hot dog, they had big ones like this for the big people. <laughs> they had a little bitty one like this for me. No, really. Oh <laughs> I, man. Probably the size. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably right. the size of this right here was my little. Too. That was my <laughs> that was my little where I parked myself, and the other ones were they were huge, a big. That's what they said. They didn't want me to sit on the big one. They were scared. I'm like in. fall in. Fall in. So I had my own little, uh, my own little. Uh, I guess there. that's how you measure the the tortilla circumference too. <laughs> small tortilla, we're small person. So so you were saying earlier, we had to sing outside of the church because they didn't have the singers inside the church. And I actually remember that in my own life, going down to like Saquon, we would sing outside around the fire outside during those wakes. And they would have the church inside and, and the body inside and things like that. And I remember I remember growing up, I'm, I'm not old, I'm young, but I do, I'm old enough to remember those old, you know, prayer leading songs, the evening, the midnight, the early morning. Um, and it seems like, you know, in this new era, people have really been really anti Catholic, anti-Christian, we're decolonizing, get that European stuff out of here, blah, blah, blah. And I get all of that. But at the same time, there's a big chunk of our history where that was an integral part. And so I, in my lifetime, my short life, I've seen changes. So I'm kind of curious, like, what are some things that you've seen change? Um, like, obviously, singing, bird singing now is sung. You know, that's like, like that's at the forefront of our wakes, it seems like. We're inside. We're treated pretty darn well. You sit there singing those songs or bringing you water and things like that. I mean, what did you see back in the, the 50s and 60s, those eras, you know, moving forward? And what, what do you remember those times? Well, what I, uh, what I remember, what I seen or what uh, I was there, 
and seen was that, uh, say, for example, like at the wakes, you know, the singers, they all stood. They didn't sit down. They, they stood up singing. There was no water, nothing given to them. And, you know, and I'm going to tell you why back in them days that, uh, why, that, why, that, why that was, was this. It was because the singers were there, they cleansed themselves, purified themselves, they're there for the occasion or for the, 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 the purpose that they're there, that uh, no one was to go and bother them. They did their singing, if they did their talking, it was their choice, they would talk, you know. Uh, no one went and said, here's water, here, drink this, drink that, no. They never bothered them. You know, only time they bother them when it came time to eat. They would, they'd be the first ones to eat. Of course, them days, when it came time to eat, the prayer leaders, the, those that sang, and the people that came from far were the first ones to eat. Not the people that, you know, surrounding areas or so. Them people that came from far, they were the first ones to eat. And not only that, on the reservations, back to all the reservations, there was one designated person. They would go around and call the people to come and eat. At the table, there were so many uh, plates, so they knew how many people they would call that would go in. But their priority was uh, getting people from far, getting their, like I say, their singers and their, you know, prayer leaders and all those, which is so different nowadays. You don't see that, you know. Um, they'd say prayer. John Flish would be in the prayer leader, they'd say, oh, Potter, be will you go, you know, they'd say, oh, here comes the priest, you know. So they'd call him, he would say uh, the prayers, the blessing of the food. When he got through, everybody would eat. Then he'd get back up there and he would say uh, the after prayer. As soon as he finished, everybody got away from the table. They left, right off, left. So the cooks would prepare uh, the meals uh, again and get the tables all set up. And I know that because as a little girl, 10 years old, I was there washing dishes, setting up the tables <laughs> and, you know, doing all that with the older ladies too. And so that's how it went at, um, you know, at a, at a wake, you know. And then they would go back and they had their time to go back and continue what they're doing, singing and, you know, carrying on throughout the night. Uh, there was no water given to them. There was nothing because... They were sacrificing themselves, the singers. They were sacrificing themselves for the love of the person that passed. They were sacrificing themselves for the family that was uh, in grief, mm. sadness, wanting them to know that, you know, they're not alone. They were with them. They're there together. And that's what it was, togetherness. And that's what, you know, that's what I remember like that uh, so uh, very well. And now that's, that's different now, you know. It's just like, uh, you know, today, what is different a long time, long time ago, we had horses. You know, you had to take care of your horse, take care of the shoes, take care of, you know, feet, take care. Well, nowadays, we still are doing the same thing, maybe just a little different. We've got a car. We have a car. Oh, we've got to make sure that it's running good. Make sure it's got the tires are rolling good, so it takes us where we want to go. Get the chrome <laughs> shoes. On. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I hear, and, hear that all the time about the like old days, like everybody coming together, being more of an us. We had Mike Morales in here a while back, uh -huh. and he was saying that like he always talks about it's an us thing, not a me thing or an I oh, thing. It's an us it's thing. It's right. Yes. And you know, like I can hear that in what you're saying. Like you know, you make sure that it's not about oh, I'm hungry, I'm starving. Where's the food? Where's the five course meal? 
You know, it's like, let's make sure our guests are taking care of our singers, our, yes. our, our uh, ceremonial practitioners, make sure they're legit, let's take care of them, you know, and then that way the ceremony can continue. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I, you know, I, I hear people in all kinds of communities are always talking like, I remember back when, you know, we would just go to each other's house and talk and hang out and we don't do that no more. And, you know, the cell phone's in the way and all of that kind of stuff. And, See, now that's something you know, that... Uh... <laughs> we never had a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, from what I could see is that you know there's a lot of there's changes from the old days to where we are today. You know, uh, children should be seen and not heard. So a lot of us. <laughs> That's definitely not now because now they put the kids in the front. <laughs> we want you to do it. We want you to lead the songs. We want you to lead everything. And they're like, look, I just started last week, man. <laughs> they're like, you got two songs. You can do it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but, yeah, I, but that's the way it was. And some of us okay. that could understand some Spanish, English, Indian. Oh, boy. We had an earful. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, uh, it seems like it. Uh, there's just, the, how can I say, the kids, you hear them. Uh, you know what the word is? I, I say it's respect. Where is the respect? Uh, it's been lost, you know. Long ago, they had what they call respect. When uh, somebody, when they had a funeral or a wake, you know, during the sadness time, you know, everything, the people were quiet, the kids were quiet. They uh, controlled the kid. Nowadays, God, you think a fiesta was going on. I mean, you know, needless to say, it never used to be no. that way. Yeah. It never, it never was. They, uh, they, uh, the uh, respect was the main thing for your elders, you know, for for everything. For everybody. And I'd like to see that come back. I would really like to see uh, where um, the respect of everything. I'd like to see where uh, uh, at one time our people all came together and they help each other. They visit each other. And now, you know, the only time you see that or see people or friends like during sadness, maybe at a funeral or or, you know, I think like that, that I think that does have to do with the phones, though, you know, because people are always on their phones, especially kids. Kids are on their phones all the time nowadays. So you miss that um, the opportunity to be next to you. Like you, you were telling earlier that you learned all this stuff or a lot of your, your history and your family's history from your aunt. And, you know, if, for a kid who's on their phone, who's texting someone who's like a different, you know, state away from them or on a game or something mm -hmm. along those lines, their, their, their um, attention is on their phone. So they miss that opportunity to have that conversations uh, with their, um, you know, their elders or their aunts or their moms or grandparents, whoever that is. Mm -hmm. um, so like when they when they are in situations like that, um, they kind of lose all that because of the fact that, you know, they've been on their phones and they they lose that disconnect of why we're there. And, you know, those those life lessons that you learn, you know, growing up, you know, especially if you're around an older person. Right. Because if you're a kid, you know, especially kids nowadays or people nowadays, they just believe they know everything just right off the bat. I know I did when I was a kid, for sure. I just assumed <laughs> I knew everything. I thought I was an adult, you know, uh, and, you know. You know, going into like these things, you get humbled a lot. You know, you stick around people that um, that have been around like you. You've been around. You've learned from past people. And just sitting here listening to you humbles me like insanely because like <laughs> I, I just all this knowledge that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And you only learn this be, uh, from 
you know, doing this for so long or being around people for so long. And, you know, that knowledge is, you know, going to be lost if you're not sitting there trying to listen and trying to be in the moment and you know, rather than on your phone or whatnot. But I think that's where it comes down to. I think that's where that respect, you know, is lost. And I think we can definitely get it back. Uh, but it just takes, it will, I mean, it's going to take time. It's going to take those kids who, uh, who really want to know or those parents who really want those kids to learn. You know that family member. I see. I agree with that. You know, and I, I agree too. Yeah. You're right about all that. Yes, I totally agree. I think that too. We're kind of like you know we've seen ourselves kind of shift cultures a little bit. Like yeah. you know, you're talking about a very old. I mean, t- you started talking about the captain system moving forward out of the 1800s and the families coming in here and and all these families coming together, putting things together to try to survive and they had a good life and all of these things and you got these stories and then somewhere along the way to where we got to today where it seems like we we. And I don't, I don't think it's a Viejas thing. I don't oh, think it's no, a Southern California no. Kumeyaay thing. Or yes. I think it's a it's a thing we've seen all over the place where um, the culture has shifted towards consumerism. I think it's shifted towards capitalism. Um, it's shifted towards becoming a culture of, instead of learning your traditional culture, you become the culture of money. You know, uh, we value maybe not so much our, our ability to speak our own language, but to speak a language that's going to make money. Maybe we value more... Um, not our own songs or old ways or traditions as much as maybe methods and methodology to make money. You know, we we honor maybe not our elders as much as our business leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and I see that all over the place. Um, and, and so it is a hard balance because we all do want to feed ourselves and our kids take care of ourselves. We all do want to keep who we are. We can't lose sight of who we are, whether language or traditions or songs. And um, I see that everywhere. And as I'm hearing you talk, I I, I can hear that. Um, you know, for many years you were in council, Mom. I know. I, I remember that. Uh, really, my whole youth, I just remember going places because my mom was on council, and I'd see her participating from a government sphere. And then that was like during the week, and on the weekend we were going to like to a wake, or you know, I was going with Dad somewhere to go sing, or something mm-hmm. like that. Where I, I really felt like I was walking in all of these these worlds mm-hmm. at once, mm-hmm. and I felt like some people were kind of just in one or the other. And it was a very unique experience being the youngest of six, and my parents are so much older. I mean, I don't mean to say like that, Mom, but I was a lot younger. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, always around older yeah. people and, and influential <laughs> people culturally and in a government style and also, you know, business people and all that kind of stuff. How did you balance those in those days being through, well, you know, what, how did you keep focus? How did you, how did you remember who you really were through all of those times of, of government? Well... I, uh, how did I focus or how did I, well, I think it has a lot to do with your upbringing mm-hmm. that's instilled in you of who you are. And no matter where you go, what you do, you're who you are, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and that's the way it was with me. Being on the council, you know, uh, it was an honor being on the council. Why? Because I was in a position in a place where I could help my people. I could help the children. I could help our community. You know, uh, that was my priority. Was my people. You know, uh, here uh, in this community. And then, of course, you know, people all around uh, that uh, I social uh, socialized with or came near or you know got to know. And but I um, I live two worlds. You know, might as well say, mm-hmm. I live my uh, Indian world where I went to wakes or songs or dance because I'm, you know, I'm a dancer. And uh, so, you know, I lived all that. And meanwhile, on the south side, you know, 
I'm living um, the political world, yeah. you know, and uh, that uh, this is where uh, helping uh, people and within our community, my people here in the community. But the overall, when you put them together, we're talking about all people. And that's where, back in the day, long ago, everybody helped each other. They were there for each other, regardless of what it was. Oh, they disagreed, came to their political world, they disagreed, wherever came, but they were together on that. They came to the sadness of life or so, they were there. But the people were so close intertwined together, as today, I don't see it that way. I really don't. I don't see... Uh, I don't see it uh, where, uh, you know, it's easy to put a smile and say, I, hello, or, you know, mm -hmm. or I care. Or, but is it coming from in here? As for what I grew up with and seeing and believing and learning and knowing was that there was a caring. And uh, it was a caring that came from the families. It was your auntie or your uncle or whomever in the family they cared for their uh, family, if they, uh, you know, were having problems, they were there for them, or whatever it may be. They needed a place to be, they were there. They were there for them. And uh, this day and today, it's so different. I mean, I look at it, uh, you know, back in the day, you know, uh, the people say, oh yeah, that was hardship, hardship. But I look at it as a way of life. That was the way of life, how everyone lived. Just like now, how we live. But all in all, what's really important, and I believe really from my heart, is that what I would like to see is respect for everything, uh, people. I would like to see a lot of the old ways go back. Go back to the way where everybody was caring for one another. They were there for each other. Yeah, you know? I mean, we see that, like, with our hand games, you know, with Pion, they're always talking about, but they, you know, it used to be a man's game, and, yeah, and well, these kids are playing, it's great, but we got to bring back the respect, I always hear, things like yeah. that. You hear those singing, the dancing, and all that, yeah. Yeah, exactly, you know, uh, I think what really brought the people back, uh, together a long, long time, from what I could see from then to where I am now, which is how many generations, I mean, how many decades, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's been really a change, I could see. And one of the things I see is that the respect, you know, mm -hmm. is not there. That is sad. I see where our traditions are blown out of proportion. And you'll hear people say, well, I don't know our traditions. We don't know our traditions. They're not written nowhere. But no, they weren't. They were practiced within the family. They practiced, they taught their young ones, you know. There was the auntie that would teach, more the uncle would teach, more the grandpa, you know, it was passed, handed on down. Just like it was all handed down, what I know, to me, and uh, and I lived it. I'm still living it. You know, we're still living our what was handed down to us. You are, Ralph. You know, we all are. Yeah. And uh, and so and that's very precious because from there, where does it go? On down to your children, and then it goes on to their children. You know, you just keep it going on on. Where uh, there should be no excuses or reasons saying, well, I don't know our traditions or we don't know our traditions. You know. But the thing about it, if you don't know your tradition, then go to someone that, you know, that knows. Yeah. And they'll be more than glad to, you know, uh, tell you or show you. That's the way I believe. That's the way uh, it's always had been, you know. So, and then 
pion game. I mean, you know, my uncle Dan La Chapa, he played pion. He was a pion player. So I had Christian La Chapa. He was a singer. And then uh, Mark was a prayer leader. Her brother uh, Dan was a prayer leader. And and he also a pion player, you know. So I seen them. They were all on their knees. They didn't sit on chairs. And you know what uh, they used to say, too, that, you know, that was a man's game, and you're down on your knees. And uh, and I know this for a fact because the ladies would all stand behind the men. And I'd be 16 years old. I was standing right behind my uncle, standing right behind them. And, boy, I tell you, they all, it sounds so beautiful. When if they didn't get, if they didn't get the person that you're standing behind, you know that team yeah. side, woo, sound like a coyotes, beautiful coyotes <laughs> singing a beautiful tune, <laughs> you, you know. But I mean that's the way it was. Nowadays, what do I see? You know, people are sitting on chairs, they're drinking water, they're laying down, they got one leg there, and it's like, that. and it's like, oh my god, you know. I mean, it's just. Maybe because my age and what I remember how it used to be, you know, back then and what I see now. It's different. Oh, my God, it's different. It's totally different. And then you see those that are on their knees, like you guys. You know, I see that. That, that's what you call keeping tradition. It's hard. And I always used to say, you know, traditions no, is, I feel a hard, is a hard thing, is a hard thing to, uh, to do <laughs> yeah. or to follow. I feel guilty because I was on my uh, in a chair after one o'clock a couple weeks ago. <laughs> a little injured. I hope nobody saw it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, but you know what I mean. So there's changes. You know, I see changes at the wake where uh, long ago the singers were allowed to sing inside the church, and then now they're in there. You know, they sing in there. But I remember in Campo, uh, Uncle George was standing outside, and oh my God, it was so cold. It was snowy. It was cold, and I remember. Uh, Rosa Pinter come along and she goes, oh, You know, she says, Oh, Uncle, here you are standing out here, you know, and it's cold, you know, go inside. He said, No, no. Come, kahap. She's like, Go on inside. So he went in and he stood inside. inside. And then, you know, it seemed like uh, thereafter I would still see uh, him singing outside. But then, so that's one of a change. From then to where it is now, you know, everybody's singing inside the church, you know. And so, you know, what I'd like to see is, I'd like to see... Um, History was made, and I got to point out that like a woman get in there and go sing inside. That's how it always is. Hey, they always said, us women lead the way. <laughs> you know, us women, hey, we are... We make the world, eh? No. Well, the men are part of it. Should have started it, eh? <laughs> but we as women, eh, we, we bring the new one into the world. You know? <laughs> of course, don't get me wrong, with the help of you men, do you? Know? <laughs> now, Just a short period. Huh? <laughs> a little bit. But you know what? That's something that will never change. I don't, yeah. care how old, I don't care how far back it is to where it is now. Yeah, that's yeah, That that's is going to change, you know? But, you know, I... Uh, there's been there's been changes and uh you know like mike uh, morales you know he talks you know he talks for the people and i admire that man you know i like that i, I like people uh not this me myself and i you know no 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 we're for the people mm -hmm. you know that's what it is you know and uh even when i was on politics you know everything was for my people what could we get and then all of a sudden uh you know we uh we traveled 
Yeah, so we all lived out our suitcases. But then at the end, here we are. You look at the, all the reservations and all that have casinos that are helping one another and uh, helping the people, you know, like on this reservation here in Bias, you know, we have our fire department there, you know. Uh, longer we never had anything like that. That's a, a change. We have our own education here where kids don't have to go and get on a buggy and ride for miles or days, you know. Yeah. Everything is right here. <laughs> three days to Morongo. <laughs> three-hour drive at most. I love well, that. Yeah. But, I mean, there is, you know, there's changes of that. And, uh, and the other thing is I'd like to just see us go back to the old, old way, you know, and uh, teaching the kids respect where they come from, who they are, and how and uh, uh, be thankful for what they have. Because if it wasn't for the ancestors, it wasn't for them, you know, where would we all be? I think, that's a, I think that's a big part of that too. Is if if you teach people where where they came from, a lot of that will just fall in line. You know, if you if you teach people, you know, where they came from, what all those people in the past had to overcome. Like you're talking about, you know, all the way down there, and then just you know, just to be here, and now you guys have this casino and these resources. Like, you know, when you're born into it, you take all that for granted. But the second you learn, you know, that that process of all these people, what they had to do in order to get here, uh, I think that respect and all those, you know, all those things that they've kept alive, you know, it it becomes, you know, they become more aware of why you guys say or so-and-so says this is why it needs to be this way. They learn that history and and, and I think it just comes along with with just knowing where they where everything came from, their history. I think that I think that would be a big solution is um you know those parents people who do who don't think they know things i think we were talking about at one point is that uh, um uh you know people don't think they know much but then once you start getting to talk oh yeah i remember that mm-hmm. so yeah. you know just tell whatever you do know and then um you know that that would go a long way i think in my opinion it's like they'll say <laughs> one person's trash another one's treasure yeah they might think of their own experience as useless and yeah. i think i see a lot of that in indian country because we have a, a history of like being told that our ways are no good by the outside world, and so it's created this uh, lack of self-respect and esteem, not for a person, but for a community, yeah. where everyone just thinks, like, well, like what I have to say isn't important. I want somebody else to come and say what's important, and usually it's it's a it's a white male, you know, because that's been the dominant culture, and so, if, you know, you can have one of your own people say something, but the moment, you know, you hear it, you go, ah, they don't know nothing, they grew up down the street, yeah. but you have somebody else <laughs> come in and say the same thing, oh my God, it's the gospel. And so I think that we've we've kind of been growing in this reservation mindedness, and part of it being is that what well, your story, your perspective is not powerful. It doesn't mean much. And it's like no, no, no. The, with those stories you have, you have like a whole vast volume of stories that are speaking about resilience, tolerance, family, understanding, coming together. All of these big themes that people I think in America right now or in the world are really searching for. They want connection. You know, I mean, so what? You you know bad water or so what we're poor or so what you know all of these things that people have had to deal with you know not that they were easier you know mm-hmm. i didn't have to experience a lot of that so i can speak like that but but the bottom line is our people have had that connection they've had that togetherness mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and people are really looking for that and i, yeah. and I see that you know a gram you know we used to have our cultural program here uh we were working for that for many years right. and and uh, we would get elders and, and they would always tell us that on this one and I always hear them say, well, uh, Virginia, I, I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, I don't really got much to And would say, no, 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 just talk to him. You know, tell him what it was like. And I'd say, just tell him what it was like we remember. And, man, they would pull out some nuggets of information and knowledge. And 
and philosophy and understanding. And I would just sit there and all go, man, this is cool. And even some of the, um, there's a couple of grandmas here in our res who aren't native at all. They married in, but they've been here longer than I've been here. You know, their mm-hmm. kids are older than me. And, and it's like, they, they know what that res life is. They know what our people used to be. Mm-hmm. They lived with those old ones that are gone. And it's like, you just, uh, you get so much knowledge out of everyone's perspective. And so um, I really appreciate it. I know we do. That's why we oh, do this. Yeah. We want everyone's perspective. And so with that, you know, we just want to say thank you for taking some time to be here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Share with us. I mean, you know, it's really hard to encapsulate all that you want, you have to offer inside oh, of a yeah. small segment. But we do thank you for coming here and sharing a little bit with, um, with all of us. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you. you know, this is this is your life that you've grown and not even just your life is, you know, because you were passed down other information and it's hard for us to have like an hour or two hours or whatever. We can we can go on for weeks of this information <laughs> and you're you're full of it and uh, you're full of that information. So I, I, I want to thank you personally. for. Well, being you know, there. I want to thank mm-hmm. both of you, too. You know, thank you so very much for letting me yeah. Uh, Tell my story, yeah. okay? Like I'll, I'll say my story, you know. We're gonna be back. Thank you very much. You know, I appreciate still. it, and yeah. and I want to close by just saying that you know, uh, I know that we all can come back together, you know, mm-hmm. one day, you know, or as soon as we can, you know, uh, so that we can be like we used to be in the old days, you know, all togetherness, you know, and teach our children, and uh, they in turn will teach their children. Yeah, that togetherness is so important, family and. And that's what where it counts, you know. So I thank you so very much for sharing my story with you. And I guess we could keep on going on, but then especially <laughs> my age, but well, we'll <laughs> thank you. We'll have you back. Well, sure. Thank you very much. And with that, I guess we'll call it live yeah. from the red.